Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. I'm John Hay, the Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. This week, we're turning our attention to the IPO market, which has had an absolutely record year, um, complete with investors, bankers and anyone else complaining there are far too many deals, um, but buying most of them anyway. And we're turning our attention in particular to reforms being made to the IPO process, both in Europe and the UK. Um, seems generally there's a, a desire to make both of those locations are a more favorable listing destination for companies. Um, John, I wonder, what do you think is behind the motivation to reform IPO markets? Do you think it's something to do with a Brexit rivalry, a rivalry with the US as a listing location? Do you think it's something to do with the huge amounts of business that have been going through the IPO market of late or something else? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think there are several motivations. Um, so, um, Let's take Brexit first. The, the Brexit obviously gives the UK an opportunity to go its own way in, in financial regulation to some extent. It can't obviously rewrite the rule book completely because um, it's still a unified European capital market, essentially. But it can um, it, it does have the opportunity to, to, to have a fresh think. And I think the UK uh, financial regulators clearly want to do that. Um, so that's one thing. Then you have, I think it, it's, it's worth making clear that there are different strata in the market. Um, when you think about big companies and um, the sort of exciting growth tech companies, there it is about international competition. And I think um, the UK is very keen for its own market to, to flourish. Um, and not and for companies not to sort of migrate automatically to go and list on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, uh, which traditionally were the destination for tech names. Um, so the UK wants to, wants its market to be competitive. And there's also a degree of competition with other European markets, um, particularly uh, in the field of SPACs. Right. Special purpose acquisition companies, which are have been a huge sort of boom trend this year in, in capital markets, especially in the US. But um, <clears throat> but SPACs uh, have, have found a, a, a sort of roosting place in Amsterdam and London is keen uh, to win some of that business back. But then if you go to smaller companies um, and the sort of, uh, you know, uh, ones that are you know, much more borderline as to whether they list on on stock markets. There, it's much more of a sort of wider economic issue. Um, and these smaller companies, whether they're in Italy, Spain or Britain or whatever, they're unlikely to go to a foreign market. But the question is, you know, can we make the equity capital market work for them? And that comes at a time as well, I suppose, when there is a huge amount of money swilling around the private equity industry and uh, companies being taken private left, right and centre. It's possibly also about making public equity markets just a, a sort of keep them as a going concern, as it were, almost. Absolutely. And um, I think, you know, Victoria has been looking at the issue of companies being delisted from the stock market. Um, it, it's been a trend over years. Private equity obviously is flourishing. It's it's, it's sort of it's it's growing, um, and um, 
you know, people do wonder what what are the policy implications of that? What you know, we were all brought up to think of equity fundamentally as being publicly owned in in a fairly transparent way by multiple shareholders. And, you know, it's important to keep looking at the IPO process and the equity capital market to make sure that that is still viable and 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 up to scratch. Well, the Victoria of whom John speaks is our equities reporter, Victoria Teela. We spoke to her about the article she wrote this week about the various listing reforms that are going on. Hi, Victoria. Um, what's at the heart of the attempts to reform, do you think? Is it, are these things about protecting investors, encouraging companies to list? Are they about removing red tape? What's, what's uh, driving them, do you think? So the UK and the EU have both separately been looking at reforms to their equity capital markets. And for the UK, I think there's definitely an element of looking at post-Brexit EU regulations and seeing how far they are still attractive to the UK market, where they could deviate from them, especially around prospectus creation. And Jonathan Hill has looked into that earlier this year. So the UK is a bit of a step ahead of the EU in there because a few changes have already come out of it. So there were a few rule changes making SPACs easier and more attractive to list. And now the FCA, the Financial Authority, has also reviewed their process. And last Friday, they made a few changes. So companies now need a slightly larger market cap to list, but a lot of three float. And people say there's still a lot to do, but they definitely have started getting the stones rolling. On the EU, on the other side, the European Commission has recently also launched a consultation. It's a 70-page document, a very detailed um, questionnaire where they look for feedback. And their objective is very clearly to make the market more attractive, for, especially to small and mid-caps. And they, they don't point to any specific market, but they say that other developed equity capital markets are currently ahead of them and they want to remain competitive. So that's likely the US and to an extent also the UK. And they're especially interested in changes around the prospectus because they're wondering whether certain investor protection measures might put a disproportionate burden on issuers, especially smaller issuers. So that's kind of at the core of it. So um, just tell us a bit more, Victoria, about what the regulators are worried could be the barriers or the things holding the equity capital market back what what are the sort of fundamental sort of issues they're concerned about i think they're generally wondering whether we're a bit overregulated over here we i think we see that especially in spacs because they they were held back both in the uk and in the rest of Europe by, by regulations that have been lifted a bit in the UK in summer and actually a few days ago in Switzerland, um, where we now have seen the first SPAC listing that wasn't previously possible. So it's it's not open to these kind of new interesting ways of, um, yeah, of the new interesting tools of the, the equity capital markets. And on the EU side, regulators are especially worried about small and mid-cap issuers. There have been some reports um, on, on the equity capital market that show that especially the number of small and mid caps 
seeking an IPO is going down, they might be more tempted to look at different ways, maybe easier, cheaper ways of getting funding. And these reports have also shown that it's disproportionately expensive for smaller IPOs to go public, which will put them off. And um, there are ideas that a lot of these costs might be related to the process of creating a prospectus. So that's something that this questionnaire is focusing on in quite a lot of detail. Who's filling in the questionnaire? It's, it's, it's quite broadly targeted. So they, they invite all market, market participants. Um, it could be issuers, banks, investors. Um, it's, it's very broadly targeted. I think they, they look for 360 degree feedback. Because obviously, if you, only get, if you only get issuer feedback, they'll want everything to be super cheap um, for them. And if you get only investor feedback, they want everything to be as fast as possible and in their favor. So I think it makes sense to, to get a, a broader range of, of responses. So, Victoria, what's the IPO market actually like at the moment, though? Has it has it been a good year? It's been an incredibly busy year for IPOs in the region. IPOs in EMEA have raised 93 billion euros this year. That's roughly equal with 2007. And before that, you would have to go back to 2000. So we're two dec- looking at two decades at the moment. And we've seen uh, a huge grow in tech stocks coming to the market in Europe. We didn't have that that much before. It was more focused on the US, but now we had a few big names, Trustpilot, Deliveroo come to mind. But we've also seen some of the big industrial players that Europe was more associated with, like Volvo coming to the market now. And especially in that case, they were quite interested in funding the green transition with with an IPO. So it was quite busy, some might even say a bit too busy. We heard a lot about investor fatigue, especially in, in summer. And then in after summer, in autumn, we kind of started seeing deals being postponed and, and pulled. So so there was there was a bit of that happening. So what are people in the market telling us at the moment about what reforms they would like to see to European IPOs? Um, are they looking for reforms that would make them less fatigued? I think that certainly had an influence on people's opinion. Something we've heard a lot of strong feelings about from bankers is the, the pricing procedure of IPOs. There were quite a few complaints that the, the, the European process is called quite laborious because there's a lot of rounds of pre-marketing, investor education, the, the issuers and, and the banks that, that uh, lead the IPO, they, they speak to investors in several rounds trying to, to get to, to an, the perfect pricing and valuation. And that has been described as cumbersome. One, one banker even said there's a lot of rubbish going on in the, in the European market. So there, there were a few strong feelings around that. We've also heard that it's frustrating, especially to larger investors who could do a lot of the analysis themselves, like a big hedge fund has the people, the money, the knowledge um, to do that, but they're still forced to go through those rounds. So that's something that's that's been that's been raised in conversations with us. The um, one of the things we've written about as well this year is uh, the presence of cornerstone investors in IPOs, and we've talked about that on this podcast before. And um, it strikes me that uh, all these rounds of pre-marketing, that is to say, marketing the deal before it's publicly launched, and all the investor education that goes on, they all seem to me to be about um, taking as much risk out of the actual listing part of the transaction as possible. But I suppose the other problem with that is you make it a bit of a closed shop and you inhibit in um, genuine price discovery. 
Yeah, certainly. I think they both kind of feed into the same trend. We have heard that, especially when it got really crowded and issuers saw deals getting pulled, there was this this urge or this this need to de-risk an IPO as much as possible and essentially have it done and dusted before it actually goes public for fear that otherwise it, it wouldn't come come to the market. So how much of that behaviour with regard to the pre-marketing and rounds of investor education is down to the pandemic and the amount of business that's going through the market and how much of it is part of the general market structure anyway? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, it's a very good question, actually. Um, the I think what Victoria was talking about with the, you know, wanting deals to be de-risked and to, you know, almost get them fully sold before they're even formally launched. That's that's a 2021 thing, right? And a 2020 thing. That's to do with difficult market conditions, a difficult economy, even though it is recovering well and, and actually the stock market's been doing well, but people are still nervous. Um, I think, um, you know, so, so one reaction to the pandemic and the conditions has been that to, to sort of take extra care. But there's there's there was also an opposite reaction we saw in 2020 with the the invention of much faster IPOs when markets were really choppy and you know it was for certain high quality deals people worked out ways to do them much more quickly. Now, um, but underlying this, it's just the structure of the market and the way things are done. And Europe has been like that for a very long time. Um, you you have an extensive, usually four week uh, period divided into two uh, periods of two weeks during which an IPO is sort of brought to market. And before that, there's usually um, stages over the preceding six months or so of pre-marketing and what's called pilot fishing, where the banks go out to select investors beforehand um, to try and gauge their interest. Now, um, Victoria, that is sort of not not entirely loved by the, by the banks in the market is it even though they're they're used to doing it yeah yeah definitely isn't um even though bankers have known that that procedure for a long time there's still this this frustration that has built up over a longer time frame especially some some bankers who have worked both in the us and europe do complain about what they call a cumbersome frustrating or a laborious process that has some adjectives that we heard a lot um, so, Victoria, you alluded earlier to uh, the fact that Europe might be looking at the US as uh, as, as the market to copy. Um, how are things different there? And what, what do people think is better about the US market? In the US market, bankers spend a lot less time on this pre-investor education. The whole, the, the price finding is much more part of the book build, which is especially seen in the price range. In Europe, we set a price range between 14 and 18, and then the deal price is somewhere in between. It's very rare that it goes above or below that. In the US, we might be setting a price range of 14 to 16 dollars today, and then the deal price is at 12 or at 18. There's a lot more flexibility in that. And in Europe, we, we kind of want to go for a point landing where we we price at the ideal valuation of a company and so in, in a perfect world deals would almost not move at all on the first day of trading which of course investors don't want but um that's would kind of be the extreme version of that well in the us it's much more common to have have a much larger pop on the first day because the deal might price might price cheaper and more investor friendly because there isn't all this this valuation finding process 
So isn't it really a question of whether the system favours the investors or the issuer? And that in the, in the US, these big IPO pops are almost built in because the marketing process is more slapdash. Yeah, definitely. So in Europe, it's definitely a bit more issue friendly finding the right valuation, which usually means a higher valuation than than the more investor friendly one you would find in the US, where it's more common that you price the IPO quite cheaply. It has a huge pop on the first day, maybe 20 percent. And then once the stock is there, the company can kind of dilute it down to an ideal valuation. I think that is that's maybe a way to phrase what the main difference is. Mm -hmm. When you say dilute it down, what you mean is the company owners will just float a small part of the stock and then enjoy the fact that the share price goes up because they're what they what they still own is worth more. Exactly. There's there's a bit of a, a cultural difference in the way you look at a pop as well on the first day in in Europe. It, if, if, if your stock suddenly goes up 20 um, percent on the first day, your issuer will come to the bank and be like, excuse me, don't we price a bit cheaply there? While in, in the US, if it doesn't pop 20% on the first day, then the, it will feel like a mispricing. So, so there's a bit of a different expectation towards it as well, which I think makes it also hard to say we just want to copy that system over here. But isn't, isn't it inherently better for the investors to know more about a company and understand it better before an IPO and therefore be able to price it more accurately? Well, after uh, one month after the deal, imagine you're an investor and you look back at the deal. Would you rather say, oh, I'm so glad I knew so much about the company? Or would you rather say, well, great investment at pop 20 percent? Well, I think. I think that depends how much you were allowed to buy in the IPO. If the um, amount of shares was released was small, so you were crammed into a small, small allocation, um, but you have the desire for more. But the price has then already gone up. So um it seems it seems to me at least from that point of view and this is obviously a very general look at this thing that it's a it's a better thing for everybody to have a broader view and a, a more in-depth view of evaluation and more more buyers involved in the process as well and um, yeah that's absolutely right Rolf, from that perspective and some of the of the bankers i mentioned before who have seen both systems they actually agree that there are some merits to to our way of doing things and i think if people say that they prefer the us system they don't actually mean that they want that system to be just put there and imported here i think they just mean that there are problems they experience in the european market at being cluttered and and a bit lengthy and that they would like to solve those but they also still see the benefits of that one other slightly puzzling thing is that is all these complaints from investors about being too busy. I mean, if they don't if they don't have time to look at uh, information or go to a meeting, they can just refuse, can't they? Well, I think I think some of them have been. I mean, that's certainly um, something that was reflected in Victoria's story uh, this week, which was that it was becoming ever harder to get investors to show up at the various pre-marketing meetings and all the rest of it but it's it's also um right to question uh investor busyness i suppose because if they don't have the staff well there's never any shortage of staff that want to work in financing so then surely it just becomes a question of 
getting people through the door and paying them and I guess accepting slightly lower margins because you've got higher staffing costs, but at least you're able to handle the volume of business. But the IPO um, market is so up and down. That's the thing. It's, you know, you you will have like 90 billion of issuance this year and last year it was like 28 or something. So, um, uh, you know, it, it I, I, you know, and it takes, you, you know, you can't just... Um, hire an analyst to do this you know by which I mean a, a graduate you know it's got to be experienced people um, some bankers actually or say one banker actually criticized that there's a bit of a inflation of analysts who have their business justified through this very big process and and it seemed like that that banker was indicating the market might do with a with a, a few analysts less and of course, if uh, if if supply if supply of IPOs does fall to twenty eight billion next year, then just imagine the quality of analysis you will get. Every stock will be priced right in the nose. Exactly. No, no aftermarket at all. Actually. No. No need. No need. <laughs> we'll just be buy and hold. So it's been very busy in the market this year, especially. But have, has anything changed because of the pandemic in terms of technology and how that's used in IPOs? Of course, I mean we've we've seen that in almost every line of business, and uh, one banker in particular said that the move to Zoom made it a lot easier. He said we can get so much more done in six hours of Zoom meetings than six hours running around London City <laughs> trying to get people to talk to us. So so there was definitely that making the process a bit smoother. On the other hand, that might be treating the symptom and not the cause, because if if the problem is that that week-long process of talking to investors, then just making the, the, the transport between those meetings smoother might not actually solve it deeply. But yeah, there has been some process. And do we have any sense of whether regulators are actually going to uh, look at this issue? After all, um, I mean, it's it always comes up when you talk to bankers because what they want is an efficient process for, the, for them where they can get through lots of deals quickly and without uh, spending months in meetings it clearly it works for them but um that doesn't mean it, it works for the entire economy i think they will look at that if people raise it with them because it's so far especially in the eu it's a it's in the consultation stage so if people if enough people go forth and say this is a problem we have especially if it comes not only from bankers but maybe from from a few other people as well i think that that should be something that that can't really be ignored uh, so, Victoria, what do you think an ideal outcome might look like for European IPOs? This answer might be very boring, but I think that, that the ideal as so often lies in, in between the two extremes, because we've, we've now discussed the, the pros and cons of both systems. And in the end, um, as I said, even some bankers who are um, huge advocates of the US system, they do admit that there is a bit of an advantage in de-risking the process, but at the same time, one of them said, and I think that was a very nice way of putting it, you do all this pre-marketing, but at some points, issuers and investors will just wondering, is this deal ever going to the market? So at some point, you just have to pull the trigger. I think another suggestion, perhaps, is just to have more variety. You know, the it doesn't have to be the same answer for every deal. And, um, you know, we did see a bit of that in 2020 with the accelerated deals. You know, uh, I think it would be good for the market to be able to sort of, you know, try out different methods depending on the type of company, its likely appeal and so on. Well, it's certainly something you see in the bond market, isn't it? Um, for some bond issues, 
usually frequent borrowers, very well rated, you can you can get a deal done in a day. Um, for others, debut issuers, uh, more hairy credits, that sort of thing, you need a number of days and all sorts of uh, roadshow marketing beforehand. Um, it certainly seems to be the case that they, they can handle the variety of approaches yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and companies companies are as variety as any number of bond issuers. So you would think that would make sense. Yeah. I think an important point is also, which which is related to what John just said, that this flex, I think a flexible approach is definitely a really good idea, especially if you um, if you might be targeting different investor bases with different deals. If you're if you have a, a small company that's a really popular name, let's say with with local people in Luxembourg, like it, it might make sense to to have a completely different approach of more investor education. Whereas if you have a big, well-known tech company in the UK and you just want to get your big hedge funds in, um, that might might go much faster. So so I definitely think what John just suggested is, is a pretty good idea. I think, yeah, there's certainly room for, although, you know, although Europe's IPO market, I, I fundamentally don't think it's broken. It does function. Um, but, you know, there, there, there's there's definitely room for improvement. And you know one one issue as well is that just the variety of investors that do participate it does tend to be uh, just really a small band of about 20 uh, large funds that are critical for nearly every deal and you know if if you can't get them engaged you know it's a non-starter another thing is um that that's kind of shows that europe isn't doing everything really badly is we've talked about this this cultural difference in looking at the first day pop, but we have looked at very recently for an article at the first day performance of IPOs in the US versus Europe this autumn. And since August, actually European IPOs have popped on average weighted by deal size by 15% on the first day. And in the US it was 14. A little later on US stocks then were outperforming the European stocks for a bit, but I think it just, just shows that there's no no such thing as a one 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 answer to end all, all difficulties. It will just be something we'll have to keep talking about. And if you want to read more about European IPO reform and the reforms that have just been made in the UK, you can read Victoria's story on globalcapital.com. It only remains for me to thank Victoria for joining us for the podcast today and to John for co-hosting with me and to Gerald Hayes, our producer, for editing it all together. If you want to get in touch, please email us at podcast at globalcapital.com and don't forget to subscribe. Just search for Global Capital on any podcast platform and you'll find us there. So thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with more from the capital markets next week. Goodbye.